0: Hello once again, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you all enjoyed your lunches, it was quite fantastic. And good afternoon. Now we are live from the Delta in downtown Toronto. Welcome to the 113th season of the Empire Club of Canada. For those of you who are just joining us through either our webcast or our podcast, or on Rogers TV, welcome to the meeting. Before our distinguished speakers are introduced today, it gives me great pleasure to introduce our head table guests. Traditionally, I would, I would ask that uh, as I call them to rise, we withhold our applause. But for any of you who have come to these lunches, you know nobody listens to that, so clap as much as you'd like as I call these names. First, we have our honorable speaker today, Ms. Darren Lavelle, Head of School at Bishop Strong. Next is Mr. Brendan Caldwell, Director, Caldwell Securities. Beside Brendan is Miss Riley Caldwell, a student at Sheridan and a BSS alumni. (laughs) Beside her is Mr. William White, the chairman of IBK Capital and a director at the Empire Club of Canada. Next is Miss Cindy Tripp, the chair at the Bishop Strawn Board of Directors. Ms. Jody LaRose, Executive Director of Tourism Partnerships Niagara, and a Director at the Empire Club of Canada. (laughs) Ms. Vivian Club, Head of Marketing and Communications at IBK Capital, and also a Strawn alumni. (laughs) And once again, my name is Paul Fogelin. Uh, My day job is I'm the Vice President of the Ontario Retirement Communities Association and the President of the Empire Club for this season. Ladies and gentlemen, your head table guests. So this is part of our 150th anniversary of Canada series, or the sesquicentennial. Don't try to say that five times fast. And as part of that series, we always start off our lunches by uh, lighting some candles on a cake and blowing them out. So I'd like to call up uh, Darren and, uh, and Vivian to join me for the ceremony. Always a risk when you're dealing with live fire. So So this season at the Empire Club in celebration of the sesquicentennial we're hosting a series of speakers to address topics of significance not only to the history of this great country but also to its future. Education in Canada and more specifically the importance of women's education is an ideal topic for this series. At this club on October the 3rd of 1935 the Director of Education from Kent, England, Mr. E. Salter Davies delivered a speech entitled Education and the Future of Civilization. Pretty intense stuff. Mr. Davies, who was visiting Canada to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the Overseas Education League, had this to say about how best to define education. Quote, education is the deliberate human effort which is directed upon the individual with the twofold objective of enabling them to be at home in their environment, to understand the world in which they are placed, and to enable them to do something to bring their environment into harmony with one's own conscious purpose. What an accurate and eloquent definition of education, the kind of inspirational description that should make any educator proud of what they do. Now, the problem is that during Mr. Salter's time, the central focus of education was... Not exclusively, but primarily men. Thankfully we've come a long way. In fact, recent statistics indicate that young women are frequently outperforming their male counterparts in the classroom. A 2006 census indicated that for the first time in Canadian history, there are actually more female than male university students, with women making up 60% of all graduates. So while there is still much progress to be made, women's education in Canada is the strongest it has ever been and has contributed to the elevation of women to some of the highest positions of leadership in business and government. Today, we have the pleasure of having with us an educator who is truly passionate about bringing out the best in young women and helping to shape the female leaders of tomorrow. Darren Lavelle is a highly respected educational leader with over 30 years of experience in Canada and abroad. With a Master of Educational Administration and a Bachelor of Education from the University of Victoria, Miss Lavelle's career has taken her from the classrooms of Alert Bay, Prince Rupert and Victoria BC to increasingly senior roles in the United Arab Emirates and Canada, currently the head of school at the Bishop Strawn School soon also to celebrate its 150th anniversary, making it this country's oldest boarding school and day school for girls. She is a powerful advocate for equality and empowering girls with the confidence they need to thrive in an increasingly complex world a philosophy that has distinguished her leadership at BSS Ladies and gentlemen please join me in giving a warm welcome to our guest of honor Miss Darren Lavelle And first a, a short video will play before Darren addresses the audience
1: Rock Solid is uh, your foundation, your educational foundation, emotional foundation uh, for uh, building your
2: life. Having girls find their voice and their confidence and their courage and being able to leave BSS ready to take on the world, that's Rock Solid.
1: The world of art and the world of sciences and medicine and it's all merging, you have to have the ability to do all of it if you want to reach the top. My first degree is actually a degree in philosophy. It's been just as important as my engineering degree in the way of thinking, the way of processing new cultures, new thoughts. It's been hugely important.
2: That intersection at BSS, you can see it in a myriad of ways. You see it in the hallways, right? You see it with the girls when they're working on experiments, they're working on ideas. The guitars that are going to be layered down, and um, then we're going to take a 3D model of a space uh, through taking pictures around all sides. And one girl will be saying in one group, I'm really excited about this piece right here. And what if we did X? And then another girl will come along and say, Yes, but if I add this, we get something new.
1: Talking about role model for women, uh, engineer, and one person that you know comes to mind is uh, Julie Payette, a woman who can uh, fly a jet, who's been to space, uh, who is uh, a mother. She speaks five languages, plays the piano as well. She truly is the, the Renaissance uh, engineer.
3: I really value the, the Renaissance approach. If you have outside interests, outside of, of science and the field that you, you do every day, you really do bring something different to the table think differently, you think outside the box, you're a little more creative with your work, you might
2: innovate instead of just sticking to what's always been done. You know, what makes a good physician? And I think in large part it's having that kind of um, well-rounded education that doesn't make you just a bookworm but also allows you to be able to interact with people well, understand people um, and understand the world in a different way especially for girls. They need to find their voice in their learning. They need to understand that they have a strong, powerful viewpoint, but also they need to understand a multiplicity of viewpoints and how that is a powerful force in learning and tackling some of the issues in the world today. I work internationally. I work in an organization now, 28 nations. The space station is built also by 15, 16 different countries. When you work in that environment, you have to be patient, you have to respect differences and understand that people don't think the same way as you do. BSS provided me with that rock-solid foundation um, that uh, I really uh, uh, wouldn't uh, be able to be as successful as I am today if it wasn't for all of that.
3: BSS taught me to to think big, but also to make realistic goals. You want to set yourself up for success.
2: I need to give BSS a lot of credit for what I have achieved. Women bring a very different perspective to these fields. You know, when I've said, how come you went into engineering? They'll say, because I wanted to make a difference, because I really wanted to help the world. I really wanted to help people. I wanted to problem solve. That is a powerful driver for women. And I actually think that's why we need more and more women in these fields. think that uh, the girls speak uh, much better than I ever could. I hope you enjoyed that video and got a little taste of who we are at BSS. Thank you, Paul, for that very kind introduction, and good afternoon, everyone. I'm I'm really so pleased to see so many friends and so many colleagues and, of course, students here today. And I would also like to thank Douglas Derry for suggesting uh, this wonderful opportunity. It's a real honor to be speaking at the Empire Club an organization that stood at the center of important Canadian conversations since 1903. And in that time, you have welcomed a startling collection of some 3,500 speakers in whose footsteps I now humbly stand. And one of those speakers, the Honorable Iva Campbell Follis in 1939, began her address by saying, I count it a great honor that I, a mere woman, should be asked to speak in these sacred precincts of the male." or perhaps the great majority of you are becoming more or less reconciled to the fact that no place is sacred from our invasion anymore. I had a laugh when I read that, just how brazen it was. Because of its records of speakers and the archives it's kept, the Empire Club offers us a unique insight into the evolution of women's roles in Canadian society. I'm sure at the time it was quite extraordinary not to mention progressive to have a female speaker address that audience, It was an era when women's places were taken for granted to mean the home, or as my grandfather liked to call it, the good old days. And my, how things have changed. And how they haven't. I was watching the Tonight Show with uh, Seth Meyers after the Democratic Convention, and he said half-jokingly, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump have clinched the nomination of their respective parties, which means we could be looking at our first female president or our last president. So I'm not going to dwell on that terrifying sideshow that's going on with our friends to the South. However, the narrative swirling around this presidential contest, rife with sexism, racism, and dumb in, dumbism, reminds us rather chillingly that even in one of the most progressive and enlightened society, societies on Earth, there is a sizable portion of the population that would rather have an unstable demagogue running things than a woman. Gender's playing a big role here, Not just because of Trump's obvious limitations, but, and perhaps even more dangerously, because of the unconscious bias against female leaders that's going to be tested in the U.S. this November. Whether you like Hillary or not, consider yourself a feminist or not, are male or female... There is an extensive body of research that shows that women who seek leadership positions often encounter resistance if they violate gender norms by acting in what are thought to be masculine ways, like being competitive, assertive, and self-promotional. According to Terry Vesio, a psychology professor at Penn State who studies gender bias, the more female politicians are seen as striving for power, the less they're trusted, and the more moral outrage gets directed at them. If you're perceived as competent, you're not perceived as warm. But if you're liked and trusted, you're not perceived as competent. In other words, you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. So there's a lot at stake right now, and if gender bias topples Mrs. Clinton's chances, we may all pay a punishing price. And that is the amazing and frustrating story of our age. Women have gone from being non-existent in public and professional life to being reluctantly accepted, to outnumbering their male counterparts at all levels of education, to working alongside them, to everyone feeling self-congratulatory about having a female actually run things. And today, those shining examples are trotted out over dinner parties and dinner conversations to demonstrate that everything is fair and fine out there. If you dare to point out things like unconscious gender bias, you'll quickly be accused of man-bashing by men and women alike. So as the proud head of Canada's oldest day in boarding school for girls, I see it as my responsibility to prepare our students for the real world. And yes, that means they'll need the hard skills, the knowledge, the critical thinking, creativity and innovation mindset that are all required in today's economy. But they're going to need much more than that. We can't afford to buy into the myth that all will be fair and equal for them as they strive for leadership in their chosen fields. They're going to need a firm handle on what to expect and the tools not only to deal with it, but to change it. So at the same time, I must take care not to extinguish their enthusiasm and ambition. It's a tricky line to walk. But the future of our country, well, the planet, actually relies on women like me, like them not giving up or giving in, and that might sound a bit breathtaking, but bear with me. If you're inclined to wonder why we still need a girls school like BSS and the girls schools in Toronto that my colleagues saw all run, I'm here to tell you. We're on the verge of celebrating a big birthday, and we're all really excited about it. BSS is turning hundred fifty years old next year, and Canada too, by the way, as you know. And by a country's term, 150 years is still pretty young. Canada is youthful, it's growing, it possesses a sense of future and and possibility. But for a school to be turning 150 and still be thriving, relevant, and young at heart, that's a real accomplishment. To be a girls' school nudges that accomplishment up a few more notches, particularly when you think about the world in which BSS was born, a world that didn't place much priority on girls' education. At that time, their options were limited primarily to convent schools run by the Roman Catholic Church or a few private schools that were too expensive for most. The Anglican Church wanted to create a quality school that would be affordable and would offer an alternative to the Catholic teachings. So in 1867, the Bishop Strawn School was opened, named for the first Anglican bishop of Toronto. The first 31 students were to be prepared, and here I quote from our archives, for the serious duties of life as members or heads of families. And although the school offered sufficient preparation for those who wished to pursue university studies, there actually weren't too many places to go. King's College, the precursor to U of T, began welcoming men in 1843, but its doors remained shut to females until a provision was passed by the Ontario legislature in 1884 to admit women. So the first female, 11 students, who gamely joined the gentlemen Scholars were denied access to reading rooms, residences, the library, and even a washroom as there were none designated for women on campus. However, the spark had been ignited and things were about to change, albeit more of a simmer than a conflagration. You have to remember, too, that at the time of Confederation and the founding of BSS, there were three basic conditions for becoming a voter. One, you had to be male. two, You had to be 21 or older, and three, you had to be a British subject. Women, Aboriginals, and non-British immigrants were out of luck. Women could be required to pay taxes, but were not entitled to vote until just 100 years ago, and nobody was throwing them a tea party. Having the vote was one thing. Having the right to enter public life was quite another. From Senator Follis' speech to this club in 1935, she cited an editorial that said, now that women have been granted the franchise, the House of Commons might as well prepare to receive them as members. But fortunately, that is a problem the Senate will never have to face. Canadian women were not officially persons, according to the British North American Act, and therefore they were not eligible for a Senate seat. And that changed thanks to the dogged determination of a small group of women. Interestingly, led by BSS alumna and the first female magistrate of Canada, Emily Murphy, who fought for and eventually won a seminal change in policy. Finally, women were declared to be persons, and Senator Fallis, who started her career as a teacher, was the second female to receive such an appointment, or as she described it, she became the second problem faced by the Senate. Over the years, BSS has played a significant role in shaping the path for women in Canada, With alumna like Emily Murphy all the way back in 1885, right up to distinguished leaders like Jalen Rogers-Bennett, one of the most influential business leaders in Canada, or Larissa Patton, aerospace engineer, we have been behind the scenes as the incubator of empowerment, working with girls at the most important developmental stages to ensure they feel strong and capable and ready to take on the challenges ahead. So sometimes it takes a big anniversary like this to go back and reflect on our history, to read the stories of our past. It's instructive when I talk to the girls at BSS today, girls who really only know this world in which everything seems pretty fantastic. They have such a positive outlook on their prospects, and they don't feel there's anything real or imagined that can hold them back simply because they're girls. Time to move on, Miss Lavelle. You're living in the past. They say that a lot. It's tempting to believe that. I want to believe that. After all, aren't we among the most open, democratic, and values-driven nations in the world? Our Prime Minister brought parity to Cabinet. There are 22 female CEOs among Fortune 500 companies, including IBM and HP. 16 of 94 colleges and universities in Canada are being run by female presidents. Hillary Clinton's contention to become President of the U.S. paints a pretty rosy picture doesn't it? Well, when my colleagues and I at BSS think about what our girls need to be successful in their lives, it would be irresponsible of us to dwell only on that half of the picture. We have to give the whole picture and prepare them for what really lies ahead, and that's not all roses. So allow me to refer to another of the Empire Club's distinguished speakers, the Honourable Ellen Fairclough, Canada's first female member of Cabinet. In 1957, She observed that, despite the large number of women shareholders, the names of relatively few women appear in the list of directors of Canadian companies. It is my conviction that this situation will change in the next 10 years. But, although legislation has been adopted in most of Canada which gives equal pay for equal work to men and women, there has yet not been general acceptance of the principle of equal opportunity. So it's been a little more than her predicted 10 years, and there are still too few female directors, and the pay equity gap in Canada remains stubbornly out of whack. That women continue to face challenges based on stereotyping, unconscious biases, and the lack of innovation in public policy to champion families of two working parents are all equally true and equally puzzling. Most of us can agree that equal opportunity and equal pay are sacrosanct in a democratic society, but we just have to do better at achieving a record that we can, as Canadians, be proud of when it comes to gender. Equality isn't the same thing as sameness. And maybe this is where we've been running into difficulties. I might be equally qualified, but I bring different skills to the table. This is a concept that has been wildly manipulated to gloss over the underlying sexism with what on the surface appears to be a reasonable point of view. To wit, former Australian Prime Minister Tony Abbott in 2010 opined, "Well, I would think men and women are equal, they are also different. And I think it's inevitable, and I don't think it's a bad thing at all, that we always have, say, more women doing things like physiotherapy and an enormous number of women simply doing housework. So that's not what I mean by different, <laughs> right? There are ways in which women's conditioning, if not our actual brain wiring, lead us to different strengths. The question is, what does that mean in terms of our value? Whether you believe that gender-assigned roles emanated from cave person days or, as a recent study suggests, things started to tilt in favor of men in charge with the advent of agriculture, The skills commonly assigned to males have been throughout history more highly prized. Things like hunting, defending the community from danger, providing food and shelter, amassing wealth and power, these were the things that people praised. Killing a raging boar in its tracks was deemed a lot more admirable than whipping up a boar souffle, never mind that you didn't have a stove or even a whisk. Nevertheless, strength, bravery, feats of daring and risk, and all the attendant character and physical strengths they required were embedded in human culture as powerful and therefore good. So raging boars aren't so much of a problem anymore. We need a new ranking system. We're in the era, era of innovation. Invention leads to the wheel. Innovation leads to sticking wheels on a suitcase. It's a mindset that's constantly seeking fresh perspectives on the status quo. President Obama observed that the country that goes all in on innovation will own the global economy. Canada must transition to a knowledge-based economy if we are to ensure sustainable growth and standards of living in the future. That means our reliance on raw materials and manufacturing needs to shift. We must differentiate ourselves in the global marketplace. Innovation relies on educated people imagining what isn't there yet. We need particular strength in the STEM fields, including research and development. Across all knowledge sectors, the demand for skilled workers is going to continue to rise. The World Economic Forum projects that by the year 2030, the U.S. and Europe will likely need an additional 70 million workers to sustain economic growth. So, it's unlikely that Canada can rely solely on immigration in that competitive environment to fill its own gaps, particularly in the light of a declining birth rate and an aging population. It so happens that women may be, in fact, particularly well equipped to lead in the era of innovation. Study after study has concluded that women can, and in fact, are better leaders in organizations that rely on teamwork and collaboration for productivity. In one study of 82 teams in 29 organizations that were identified as innovation-based, it was found that as coordination requirements increase, teams with female leaders reported greater team cohesion, more cooperative learning, and more inclusive communication than those led by men. This is particularly valuable when you think of members of teams working from different locations and even countries. The stereotype that women are not likely to perform as well in functional areas traditionally believed to to be male-oriented, such as engineering, IT, legal, and R&D, were also resoundingly refuted by a broad five-year study which demonstrated that women receive not only solid but higher effectiveness ratings than males in these functional areas. And a Center for Talent Innovation study concluded that the most successful companies deploy two kinds of diversity, inherent Meaning more women and people of color, and acquired, meaning leaders behave inclusively to, as they call it, foster the speak up culture that unlocks a broad spectrum of perspectives and toolkits. Their study showed that companies with these attributes out innovate and outperform their competitors. So there's no evidence to support the notion that female leadership traits and attributes are less effective in today's world. In fact, a growing body of evidence suggests the opposite is true, so what's getting in the way? Patty Sellers, editor-at-large for Fortune magazine, believes that parity will not happen in our lifetime because the band of acceptable female behaviors is so narrow as to render it impossible for women to, as she puts it, lead authentically. Selena Resvani, author of The Next Generation of Women Leaders, states that our social conditioning has entrenched the nuanced barriers that women face, not only by men, but from women, too. It's a complex problem, but I think, I think we need to start by ranking so-called female leadership traits right up there with the so-called male ratings and male traits, because we can plainly see that they're equally valuable and increasingly important in the innovation era. We must change our lenses and recalibrate our perceptions so that women are allowed to be cranky and ambitious without that translating into untrustworthy. In other words, which I'm not going to use. I'll leave that to Mr. Trump. I'm not as pessimistic as Patty Sellers. I I do believe parody is within reach, but I also believe we have a lot of work to do. I need for the girls at BSS to be aware of that reality and to be ready, so, so ready to take it on. By championing women in leadership roles, I am not advocating displacing men. It is not a zero-sum game. It is also not a balancing act or an exercise in fairness. It is simply the fact of fitness. All those millennia of conditioning, brain wiring, figuring out how to make boar meat taste good, have led us to this place. And now there is a real opportunity to own the future, if Canada prizes and celebrates its immense female talent pool to strengthen our economy and our country. In education terms, I made it to CEO, and I feel blessed and so proud to be the leader of one of the finest academic institutions in the world. And the fact that I run a girls' school is even more perfect for me because, along with my colleagues, I get to be the one to make sure that the girls in our community hear the words, you can do, anything. Sometimes that's all a girl needs, but sometimes she also needs to be prepared with a realistic view of the world and the character traits she needs to thrive in it. Things like resilience, patience and the value of failing, the rewards of risk, win or lose, empathy, curiosity, and above all, self-confidence. Our girls have the right abilities at the right time for them to finally realize Senator Follis' desire back in 1935 To have our vocation in life determined largely by our own ability and inclination, rather than be determined for us solely by custom and environment. Far from becoming anachronistic, the role of BSS is more crucial, more relevant, more exciting, and more challenging now than ever before in its 150-year history. We are educating for this economy, for the potential of what Canada and the world can look like in the future not just to lead innovation for the sake of amassing wealth, but for the sake of saving the planet, for having a more peaceful and less violent world, for improving our better natures and deepening our sense of connection to one another. We give our girls a world to grow up in that is full of opportunity so that they can rise to their fullest potential, and that's going to benefit all of us. Thank you.
0: That was absolutely fabulous. Uh, it's my pleasure now to welcome uh, Mr. Brendan Caldwell uh, to the stage to give the thank you.
3: What? They, they couldn't find a cave person, so they got a UCC old boy to do this. I have to say um, that Darren Lavelle has been one of my great heroes. I was blessed with three daughters who are kind enough to come here today. And uh, we were looking around for school. I had one younger brother growing up, and I had gone to an all-boys school from the time I was eight God thought it'd be funny to give me three girls. And I love you all dearly. I really deeply and profoundly do. I just don't understand you. And as my wife Sandra and I were looking for the right place to go, it was really Sandra that settled on a school that was academically focused, was focused not just on that, though, but on the emotional, spiritual, physical well-being of the young women in its care. And Darren Lavelle, as much as anyone in recent years, helped create that school and create an environment where my daughters and many hundreds of other young women like them can grow up to learn that they can, in fact, do anything. And they can become the people that they're... Creator intended them to be. So for your words today, Darren, and for years of um, blessing, help, and support to our family, I thank you.
0: A sincere thank you to our two generous sponsors for this afternoon's lunch, our sesquicentennial sponsor, IBK Capital, and our event sponsor, Caldwell Securities. Without sponsors, we simply couldn't hold lunches such as this, so thank you very much. (laughs) Uh, I would also like to thank uh, the National Post, who is our print media sponsor, and Rogers TV, who is our local broadcaster. We would also like to thank MediaEvents.ca, Canada's online event space, for live webcasting today's event to thousands of viewers all over the world. And although our club has been around since 1903, we have moved into the 21st century and we are active on social media. So please follow us on at, on Twitter at Empire_Club and visit us online at our website at www.empireclub.org. We also have a Facebook site, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And finally. Our next event is a week today on October the 6th, and it's uh, Patrick Brown, leader of the Ontario PC Party. So, if you're interested, please visit our website and purchase tickets. So, that brings us to the end of today's event. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much, uh, Darren, for or addressing us on this important topic. And I wish you all a great afternoon.